a desert land. We're in a place where we feel all alone. God, I thank you for being there in that place with us. God, reminding us that, that we never walk alone, that, that when we put our faith and trust in you, that you're right there beside us. God, so many times, I forget that. So many times I overlook the fact that, that, that you reminded me time and time again in your word, God, just how precious I am to you. Lord, I, I am just grateful for this, this word that just reminds me, Lord, that, that I am there. I am right there with you. Every single step that I take, you are taking right alongside me. Lord, what a great comfort that is to know that. What a great comfort it is to be able to rest in that. Lord, I just pray as we begin to dig into your word and look at what you have to say to us today. God, that you just revive us. Lord, through your word, you just restore us, make us new, shape us, mold us. Uh, God, whatever you need to do in our lives, God, I pray that you do that through your word now. God, this time, to, this time also is all about you. It's all for you. I pray that you're glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're starting a, uh, a new series this week. Um, it's on Moses. Um, I know that there was a... Uh, a movie that came out back in December uh, called uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Do anybody see that movie? I did not see the movie. I, I probably should have if I was going to preach about Moses. I probably should have been very contemporary and should have seen the movie before, uh, before having preached this sermon series. But um, I don't think that Moses looked like Christian Bale. I don't think that he did. Maybe he does. I don't know. But my gut feeling is, uh, being a Hebrew, I don't think he probably looked like uh, Christian Bale. He, Christian Bale's a good actor. He's a decent back, Batman. I thought he was okay in that, but I don't know how he did as Moses. I didn't see the movie. I don't think that uh, Moses looked like Charlton Heston either for the, some of you older folks that saw the Ten Commandments. I don't think he looked like that. Um, I, I really don't. He's probably a little bit different than Charlton Heston and Christian Bale. I got to thinking about uh, the fact that most of us, when we hear, oh, we're going to be talking about Moses for the next four, five, six weeks, whatever it may be, whatever God leads us to do, uh, you may kind of tune out and say, I've heard that story. I know that story. Like, Kenny, I, I've been there. I, I've been all through the Sunday school lessons where everybody talked about it. And, uh, you know, I've colored the pictures when I was in kindergarten. I, I, know, I know about parting the sea. You know, I know about the manna from heaven. I know about the Israelites, you know, traveling around through the desert and wandering around through the wilderness and, and how long they were gone and, and how they finally came to the place they were supposed to be. I know all that stuff. Well, let me, let me tell you something about the story of Moses, about this, uh, this, this plan that God had. Uh, it, it is so foundational for what we believe as followers of Christ. I mean, it, there is so much here that reminds us about who God is and what he does in our lives that I could not ignore it. I, I feel like we needed to go back, you know, this being simple church and all that, if we're really going to truly stay to our, our calling and be who we've call, been called to be, then I think that we've got to go back to the basics in a lot of ways. And we've got to preach simply and we've got to talk about stuff on simple terms sometimes. And to do that, I think we've got to go back to the basics and talk about this redemptive plan that God had for all of us. And we can see it quite clearly in Exodus and how it translates over to current day. Everybody's like, man, that was so long ago, Kenny. How can that have any relevance to me in my life whatsoever? And let me tell you something. It does. It really does. We're going to see that, I hope. That is my hope, is that through the next couple of weeks, you see that. That, yeah, this is a story that happened a long time ago. And, and, and we don't know exactly how long ago. You know, maybe 1400 B.C., something like that, that. That this is when it happened. But it is still very relevant to our lives now. I, some of you, you may not recognize it. Uh, you may not recognize it in these terms, but I guarantee you there's been some point in your life where you've thought, man, I am just in the desert. <laughs> I'm wandering around. I don't know where I'm going. I'm confused. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. 
things are not going well and I don't understand what, what this could have to do with God's plan for my life. Have you ever been there in your life? Have you ever thought that? Man, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't really get this, God. What are you doing? Where are you? I thought you were leading me, guiding me, directing me. I thought you were trying to do something great in my life and all I'm doing is wandering around with it seems like no direction. Hopefully what you'll see through these stories, what you'll see through the life of Moses is that God is at work. In your life and, and the things that you're going through, and even those desert times, wilderness times, when you feel like it doesn't even make any sense what's going on right now, you'll see God at work maybe in and through this story of Moses. Maybe that's what you'll see. And I thought about, you know, having a cool logo up here that, that said something about Moses, but I was afraid when I got to heaven that, if I get to heaven, I hope I do, uh, when I got to heaven that Moses might slap me and said, this is not about me, this story is not about me. This is about the I am, and this is about the one true God, and that's how God recognizes himself to Moses. He says, who am I supposed to tell these people that I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of? And they said, he, God says, go tell them that the I am sent you. So this is about the I am, the one true God, and that is the reason I've got this nifty little uh, logo up here that doesn't say 1 a.m. that says I am. Um, we're talking about God and what he's doing in and through our lives. We may not recognize it, we may not know it, but this is something that God has challenged me with. That Man, those times when you feel like you're alone and in the desert and you're confused that God is still at work. God is still at work. I hope you see that. If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to start. I mean, we can't talk about Moses without talking about his, uh, his birth, right? Everybody knows about the, uh, him being found in the, the basket. And uh, so let's talk about that in Exodus chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We'll start there today. Uh, the good news is it's the second chapter of the Bible. So if you're not terribly familiar with the Bible and you're trying to flip to it, uh, it's the second book of the Bible, excuse me. So you don't have to flip very far. Genesis, Exodus, you're right there. Genesis, uh, Exodus chapter 1, beginning of verse 1, it says, The name's the son of Israel, that is Jacob. Jacob's name is Israel. We're going to get to some history, some family history here in just a minute. So if you're confused about that, it's all right, hang on. Who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, uh, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, in all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. I'm going to tell you that story in just a second. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, uh, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. So let me tell you something that happened here. So we've got this, this family... And their, their lineage goes all the way back to Abraham. Um, and, and what's happened is God made this covenant with Abraham that, man, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in heaven, and I'm going to bless you and pour out my blessing on you, and I'm going to make you my people, and I'm going to be your God. If you put your faith and trust in me, then, then we're going to have this covenant together that, that we're going to do things together, and you're going to be a blessed people because of it, and I'm going to multiply you, and you're going to scatter the earth, okay? So here these people are. If you go through Genesis, you kind of see this family history develop a little bit. And we end up at, at the end of Genesis with a guy named Joseph. And everybody's heard about Joseph and his coat of many colors, right? And I think they did a Broadway play or something called Joseph and the Technicolor Dream Coat or something like that. But anyway, so Joseph has got this really cool coat, got lots of colors in it. And, you know, it's all furry and stuff that his dad gave to him because he was the favorite son. His brothers didn't like him. They, they said, I got an idea. Let's take this guy and let's kill him. That sounds really nice. You think your family's got problems? Joseph's family had some problems, okay? He said, here comes that dreamer. Let's go and kill him. So they, 
They actually end up throwing him in a well, and they try to dispense of him that way. And then they say, no, I know, I got a better idea. We can make some money off of him. We'll sell him into slavery. And they, they sell him into slavery. Some things happen to Joseph. We don't have to, time to go into all what happened to Joseph. But uh, Joseph became second in command in Egypt. And his brothers stayed back in their homeland. And they, there was a famine that hit uh, uh, Israel's family. It was a, a, you know, people weren't able to get food. They were hungry. And so they sent off and tried to find some food in Egypt. And they didn't even recognize the fact that Joseph was the guy that they started begging for food. They didn't recognize him because he, they thought he was just an Egyptian. Turns out that it's their brother. Uh, they come looking for food. They go to Egypt. They find their brother. They don't recognize him at first. And eventually what happens is he challenges them with a few things. And they prove that, he, that, that they are trustworthy to Joseph. So he ends up bringing them to Egypt and says, y'all stay here. Y'all stay here. We can take care of you guys and you can have some food and all this kind of stuff. So things are good for the Israelite people. God has shown his providence in their life. That's what's big churchy words. God showed his providence. That just means that everything happens out of the hand of God, that God is in control of everything. He is sovereign. That's another one of those big churchy words. That means that he has control of everything, basically. And, and without going into a whole lot of detail, what happens is, these people come, and they live in Egypt in this one particular area, and, and they said, man, these are for the Israelite people. You can stay here, and you can, you can do your thing. You can be Israelites, and, and we'll take care of you, and Joseph takes care of you, and all this kind of stuff. And, but something happens over time. Over time, these generations, they die off. You know, the, the original Israelites that were there, they, they die off, and now there's just descendants there, and the original uh, Egyptian king that, that was there, the Pharaoh that took care of Joseph and his brothers, he died off, and, and now some things start to happen. And it doesn't look very good what happens. As we begin in verse 8, this is what happens. So eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Joseph had, had been seen as very favorable to the king of, of Egypt at one point in time, but now he's died off. Somebody else is coming into power. He doesn't know anything about Joseph or taking care of the, the people of Israel. He doesn't really care about it. He said, to his people, look, in verse 9, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. Uh-oh, there's nothing worse than a paranoid king, right? So this is what's going on. He starts getting paranoid. And we must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and war breaks out, we will, they will join our enemies and fight against us. They will escape from, from the country. Verse 11, so the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal uh, slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses as, sub, as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the uh, Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy and made their, bit, their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks, to do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. So here's what happens. you got a king that gets paranoid. He says, all right, these Israelite peoples, we took care of them back in history, and that was okay, and that was fine, and that was dandy, and I don't really know why that happened, but they had their own place, and they were doing their own thing, and we were okay with that. Well, over time, he starts taking a close look at them. He says, you know, anytime somebody starts, there begins to get too many of those people together, and they start getting their own ideas, they're going to start to want to do everything their way, and they're not really going to want to go by, go by anything that we say, so... I don't know about those people over there. As a matter of fact, if, if we go to war with somebody, what's going to happen? They're going to want to overtake us, man. They'll, that'll be like their open door to go ahead and overthrow the Egyptians so they can do their own thing. So they started getting real paranoid about it, and, and the king says, 
let's, I got an idea. Let's make them our slaves. Now, why did he do that? He did that so that he could shorten their lifespan. Man, if they're doing hard labor all their lives, then, then there's going to be a lot less of them because they, some of them are going to die from the hard labor. Some of them are going to be worn out and they aren't going to live too long. And they, they're just gonna, he's going to be able to dwindle down their numbers. And that was his plan. But that's not exactly what happened. So what it says there is that, that they were planning on doing this and it started out like a good thing. And then sure enough, the Israelites, they just started multiplying even more. They just got stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger. And it, it was really freaking the king out. He doesn't know what to do now, man. They just keep growing. I keep persecuting them and they keep growing. And what does that have to do with you and your life? I think for some of us, we have this idea, man, if I am... If I'm one of God's people, if I'm one of his chosen people, if he, he's got a covenant with me to take care of me, then that means that everything should be hunky-dory in my life, right? That everything should go smooth and easy, and, and I really shouldn't have any difficulties, and I, I really shouldn't be put into slavery. I wouldn't, really shouldn't have to work slave labor if I'm one of his chosen people. See, God made this covenant with our ancestor Abraham, and, and I don't understand why now we're all of a sudden in slavery and we got people trying to kill us. I don't understand. Have you ever been like that in your life? Like, man, I go to church. I, I read my Bible. I get up early in the morning, and I, and I pray, and I read. And, and, you know, I mean, I do that every day, but I try my best to be a man or a woman that lives for God and tries to do the things that, that God wants me to do, and yet I keep finding myself in a difficult situation. And you keep going, I don't understand. Why is this happening? Why is this, why is this occurring in my life? Shouldn't there be, shouldn't there be a life full of, of prosperity and lots of money and lots of cars and and houses and stuff. I mean, shouldn't we have a good life if we're doing things for God? I mean, God's all-powerful, right? I mean, if God really, he wants to bless us, then he should bless us with stuff and, and, and make us, our lives go smoothly, right? Isn't that what should happen when we go like that in our mind? You may not say that out loud to anybody else, but you may think that in the back of your mind. You may go, man, I am trying to do everything right. And for whatever reason, I keep running into brick walls. I keep running into these these things that are, man, they're crushing me. That's where the Israelites were. Man, we're supposed to be God's chosen people. And here we are in slavery. How could that be the case? I'm sure there must have been some frustration in their hearts. We came here because our brother, our brother Joseph was going to take care of us. He, he's passed on, you know. Now we've we got generations that have gone down and down and down. And now we're here and we're stuck. And all of a sudden they want to throw us into slavery. We came here for the sole purpose to be taken care of, and now we're in slavery. How could this be? As you take steps in your, your walk of faith, I promise you this. I, I can absolutely assure you of this. There will be difficulty. You know what? That's really surprising, right? Yeah. You know as well as I do that I'm absolutely right. That, that As you take steps of faith, as you walk in the ways that God would have you to walk, it doesn't come easy. It's not. And for those of you that don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't know what I'm talking about when I say that you are a born-again child of God. If you don't really know God in that way, if he is not dwelling in your heart because you don't have a relationship with him, I'm not going to sell you a bill of goods and tell you that once you come to know Jesus Christ, that things will be smooth and the path will, will just be smoothly paved and you'll be able to walk and there won't be any problems in your life. As a matter of fact, I would tell you the opposite is probably true. That as you become a follower of Christ, there's likely to be spiritual battles that you'll have to face that you didn't even know about them beforehand. As you begin to follow Christ and want to live for him and do the things that, that pleases God, you're going to face obstacles and difficulties and trials and all of that kind of stuff, and it's not going to be easy. Now, one of the things I like to say, and you may have seen this on Twitter from me, is, is the things that Jesus says for us to do, they're simple, they're not easy, right? 
He says, follow me. It's, it's simple. That ain't easy. As he says, live sacrificially. That sounds simple, but it ain't easy. All the things that Jesus says, all the things that God commands us to do as we walk in his ways, they're simple, but they ain't easy. And I guarantee you, you've seen that in your life and you've questioned sometimes, why in the world am I in this awful, dreadful place when I'm following God? Why am I, why am I in this place of despair when all I'm trying to do is live for God and do the things that he wants me to do? It's not right. I mean, we want to shake our fists and go, it's not fair. Let me tell you something. Even when you think the sovereign God of the universe is not working in your life, he is absolutely working in your life. You can question that. You can, you can ask yourself, how could that be so? But I promise you, if you will take a step back and take the 30,000-foot view of your life and see what God is doing and how he's changing you in and through the trials in your life, I promise you, you can see God working in your life. I will tell you this, though, okay? Sometimes it doesn't come till later. Sometimes it doesn't come till much later. Sometimes it doesn't come to, for six months, six years, 60 years down the road. You look back and say, I see what God was doing in my life right then. It seemed difficult in my life, and that was, that was a problem for me at that point in time. But I'm telling you if, you, if you just wait, if you be patient, you can see God at work in your life and what he is doing if you will simply be patient. And unfortunately, I'm afraid there are some things that we won't, we won't see or understand this side of heaven. It's not until we pass on and go from here to eternity with him that we'll be able to see Oh, now I understand, God, what you were doing in my life. I imagine that the Israelites were pretty frustrated, and the Hebrews, with another name for the Israelites, were very frustrated at what was going on in their life and the fact that they were God's people, yet they were in slavery. And it, it gets even worse, man. You think, well, that's bad enough. We're enslaved, we're enslaved, so how could it get much worse? It does. It always seems to get worse before it gets better, doesn't it? Verse 15 says this, Exodus chapter 1, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Pua. Uh, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let her live. But because the midwives fear God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? And the Hebrew midwives tell a little white lie here, I guess you would say. So the Hebrew women uh, are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives reply. They are more vigorous, and when they have their babies so quickly, we cannot get there in time. So why is this important? Why are we here some, you know, three, 4,000 years later talking about this? doesn't matter if the government says it's okay to kill babies. These women that feared God, they said, no, we're not going to. You were supposed to adhere to man's law, and you're supposed to fall under the, the laws and authority uh, that man has set before you, except when it contradicts the heart of God. And that is exactly what we see here, is that the Egyptian king has said, kill these babies. And the midwives said, no, we're not going to. As a matter of fact, they even make up this, this lie that says that, man, they, they, they give birth so quickly, we only have time to get there. And I would tell you that in your life, that you need to follow the heart of God. As you, as you study his word and you know the things that God says, 
even if the laws of this land contradict that, you need to be able to follow God and follow what God says is okay to do, just as these midwives did. And they're willing to do whatever it took in order to, to follow through because if, if Pharaoh, if they would have given him the truth, said, we just believe that God doesn't want us to, more than likely would have had these midwives killed. He would have said, well, that's fine. You'll die instead. But here these midwives are doing what they have to do so that they can stay alive and they can continue to do the right thing. I think that's true in our lives. No matter in what the authority says that comes against us, if, if we are to follow the heart of God and do what God says is the right thing, I believe that God will honor that. And I believe that he will bless that. And that is what it says in verse 20. It says, so God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, they gave, uh, he gave them families of their own. So Pharaoh ratchets up things a little bit and he goes, and then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, not just the midwives, he gives the order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River. Oh, man. But you may let the girls live. So here, Pharaoh, he kind of he kicks it up a notch and says, I'll tell you what, instead of putting the, the onus on the midwives because they're not going to do what I say, Egyptians, if you find a Hebrew boy, take it and throw it into the Nile River. Can you imagine the desperation in the minds of the Hebrews, the Israelites at this point in time? Not only are we enslaved and having to break our backs every single day making bricks and mortar, but, but now, on top of that, not only is our lifespan shortened because of the hard labor that we're under, but now on top of that, they're going to kill our boys. They're going to kill our babies. Can you imagine how desperate they must have been in that situation? Can you imagine how they must have felt? God, now, after us following you and doing what you've told us to do, now this is how you repay us. By having the Egyptians want to kill our children, I imagine that those were some praying people, don't you? Some people that were on their face before God saying, God, deliver us. God, do something in our lives. God, please, God, whatever you have to do to change our situation, to change our surroundings, God, please do that. You ever been there in your life? Things are so desperate in your life. It's so, I mean, you're at rock bottom, right? I've heard this saying before a million times. Sometimes you have to hit rock bottom before you figure out who the rock is at the bottom, you know? And I believe that's true, man. Sometimes that, that we don't get on our faces and pray and, and beg God like we need to until we're in a desperate situation. And maybe part of it is God teaching us how to pray, teaching us how to really beg him and talk to him and, and speak to him with an open and honest heart. I know I've been there in my life. I know that when my daughter passed away, that was some of the deepest prayers I've ever prayed. I'm talking about my, my prayer life grew when my daughter had cancer. When she passed away and she, I was standing there and watched her, 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 the monitor of her heartbeat when I sat there and watched it stop and I prayed to God and thanked God for her life and told God that I know that he loves her more than I ever did and I told God that, that she belonged to him way before she ever belonged to me. That's some of the deepest, most intimate prayer time I've ever had with my Father in heaven. I can tell you, I can tell you from experience God can use those trials in your life to grow you spiritually. I promise you he can. I, I, I speak from experience and say, man, I, I, I got on my face before God many, many times weeping, waking up in the mornings weeping over, over the situation that we were in and the, and the fact that we were in a desperate situation. And God, I believe that, that he heard those prayers 
And my daughter, she didn't live. She passed away. 15 months after she was diagnosed with cancer, she passed away. But let me tell you something. That the peace that God installed into my heart, that he poured into me that says that, that you will see her again one day. That, that you will be reunited with her one day. That is what drives me every single day to, to prepare messages for, for Sunday so that I can come up here and tell you how good God is. That, that in your desperate situation, how awful you feel and how awful you think that it is, I will still come up here and tell you every single chance I, I get to come up here and tell you that God is so good and he is so loving and he takes care of you. I'll do that for as long as I possibly can. As long as I can stand or sit or speak or any of that stuff, I will stand up here and tell you how, God, how good God is and how loving our Father in heaven really is. I think that they were in a desperate spot. We're going to go on to chapter 2, but we're only going to go 10 verses into chapter 2. And Let me share with you the story of Moses being born because he was, he was born in the midst of all this uh, difficulty. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. And the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that she, <clears throat> she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made with uh, papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Can you imagine the sense of desperation Moses' mother was in to actually say, okay, I, I took care of this baby as long as I can. A three-month-old baby, he's going to be crying, and, and the Egyptians are going to be around, and they're going to know that there's a baby here, and he's a boy. They're going to come and wonder what's going on and where this baby came from. We've kept him hidden as long as we can, and now she's at this desperate point in her life. She's at a breaking point. You ever been there in your life? You're at a breaking point. Like, God, something's got to change. I can't, I can't take it anymore. I can't live with the stress. I can't, can't live with the place that I'm in right now. Something's got to be done. What does she do? So Moses' mother, she knew that he was special. She knew there's something special about this baby. She said, God's going to take care of this baby. You know what she did? She, she placed that baby into the hands of God. Am I telling you that it's okay to abandon a baby? Absolutely not. But what I am telling you is when you're in a desperate situation and you don't know what else to do, to take that situation and place it in the hands of God, absolutely I'm telling you that's what you're supposed to do. There are so many times that I've been there in that place and I said, God, I don't know, but something's got to change. Something's got to be different tomorrow. And I just took it and placed it all into his hands. And my daughter was dying. When she, when she finally got towards the end of her life, I, I had to. I, it, was a, it was about three months before she passed away. I, the cancer had come back. The brain tumor had spread. And I knew that things were desperate. And, and I, I can show you the place on the concrete in front of Target where I had to pray to God and put her into his hands to say, God, she belongs to you. See, I, I'd been praying... I'm still a man. I had been praying that God would heal her. I had been praying, God, heal her. God, heal her. God, heal her. Please, God, heal her. And it was like at this moment, God said, I have her. She's mine. And I had to come to this realization 
you belong to him, not to me. So I had to take not only her, but I had to take the situation, I had to put it into his hands and say, God, she belongs to you. This situation belongs to you. I'm desperate. I need something to happen. And he said, peace, be still. What happened was not that she got healed. But God said, peace, be still in my life. And I said, God, if you have to take her life, if that is the way that it has to be, I just ask you, Father, please, that you get glory from it in some small way. In some way that you get glory from her life. And here I stand today. Sharing with you her testimony of her life. And how she put her faith and trust in Jesus Christ two years to the day from the time she passed away. She put her faith in Christ. Committed her life to being a follower of Jesus. Two years later having been diagnosed with cancer, gone through chemotherapy and radiation, she stepped from this life into another. She stepped from, from my arms into the arms of her heavenly Father. Soon Pharaoh's daughter, verse 5, came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank, and when the princess saw that the basket among the reeds she sent her maid to get it for her, when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She felt compassion on this little baby. This must be one of the Hebrew children. Can you imagine the sister watching this happen, watching this transpire? She's, their mother's gotten desperate. She's placed the baby in, in papyrus and laid it amongst the reeds. And you know they're praying to God the whole time, God, save this little baby. God, some way, somehow, you, you deliver this little baby. And imagine the desperation that must have flooded this, the sister's emotions as she was sitting there watching. Of all the people in this entire world that could come along that day, Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh, the one that had handed down the decree that these babies should be thrown into the Nile. How in the world could she be the one that comes today? Thinking that God had completely passed them by, thinking that God had completely ignored their request for deliverance, for God to take care of this baby. She had placed the baby into God's arms and said, God, you do what you've got to do in, in this baby's life. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter is the one that comes around the corner and gets into the water right there. I imagine there was a wave of fear that flooded her soul that she was like, oh, no, how could this be? Well, what was happening? God was at work. God was doing something in the heart of Pharaoh's daughter way before Moses was ever, ever laid in that basket. God was already at work and orchestrating things so that when that baby was placed there, that's exactly the person that God had intended to be there that day. Pharaoh's daughter was a part of his perfect plan. They thought it was completely the opposite way, but no, no, God said, you just don't know who I am. You don't know the I am. You don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know whose heart I'm able to change. And sure enough, Pharaoh's daughter looks at the little baby and has compassion on him, feels sorry for him, and says, this must be one of the Hebrew children. I'm sure that when they heard that, they were like, she's going to kill him. She's going to kill him. The decree had been handed out by Pharaoh. His daughter, surely she's going to kill him. 
So I'm sure that the, the sister is probably just overwhelmed with emotion. And she comes up in verse 7 and says, Then the baby sister approached the princess. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Can you imagine the, 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 just the emotion that must have come over? Because I'm sure the sister is probably trying to protect the baby, doing whatever it takes to intervene at this point in time. Can I go find one of the Hebrew women to take care of the baby for you? <coughs> Verse 8, the princess replied, yes, do. Can you imagine the overwhelming sense of God is here and God is doing something right here in this place? And I never thought that he would do it this way. I never could have imagined that God would rescue this little boy in this way. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. The princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. The woman took the baby home and nursed him. Later, when the boy was older, the mother took him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses. For she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Have you ever felt like God had just passed you by? That even in the midst of your heartache and your desperate situation, that maybe God wasn't there, he wasn't working, he wasn't doing something. You ever felt like God didn't see your tears or didn't know how bad you were hurting on the inside, that he had forgotten about you? The Bible tells us that he stores our tears in a bottle. Psalm 56 says that he actually stores our tears in the bottle. That, that is the way that the Israelites used to show how much they were, they were mourning is they would store their tears in a bottle and say, this is how bad I hurt. That's the way God does your tears. That's the way God sees your situation and your heartache, and that's the way God knows how bad you hurt. He stores up all of our tears because he cares, because he's a father. What father wouldn't care about his children? What father doesn't love his children so much he would do anything for them? Don't confuse the situation you're in with the fact that you think God has forgotten about you or God doesn't know who you are. He doesn't know your name or the hairs on your head. Don't confuse the fact that you were in a bad situation with the fact that you think that God doesn't know anything about the situation. He knows everything about it. and He's at work. You just have to open your eyes, take a step back, be patient and say, God, I know that you're at work and I know that you're trying to do something. I'm going to rest in your promises and your desire to love me and shape me and mold me, even though sometimes I'm going to resist it. Sometimes I'm not even going to be able to go along with it sometimes because I'm in such pain and such desperation. I believe that's where the Israelites were at this point in time. I think that they were in a lot of pain and they were hurting in a lot of ways and they were desperate. And God was at work. God was at work to this little boy named Moses who was wrapped up in... Uh, papyrus and, and laid in the reeds. God was at work. And God was about to do something great in the lives of the Israelites. He was about to change the course of history for them. And, and he was going to change everything about redemptive history for us. Be patient. Wait. See. Let your eyes be open. Let God speak to your heart and install peace where it needs to be installed. Father, thank you, God, for this message. Lord, thank you for just giving me, Lord, uh, just peace Father, when I needed it most, thank you for your overwhelming mercy and grace, God, that you pour out on us. Father, I know there are people here that are hurting. God, I know there are people here that have shed tears and 
And God, maybe their tears could fill up this bottle in my hand. God, but you have seen those tears. You have heard their cries. You, you know about their desperate, desperate situation. You know about their desperate need for you to perform an intervention in their life. And God, that's what I pray for right now. God, I pray for clarity of vision for these people. God, to see them, for them to see you at work in their lives. God, I, I, know, I know it's hard to see sometimes. I know this, it's difficult to take the blinders off sometimes and see you at work. But God, you have called us to obedience. You have called us to follow you. If we'll simply do that, if we'll simply do what you've called us to do, then God, we know that it all works to our good and your glory. So Lord, please, I beg you, Father, please work in the lives of these people. Help them to see clearly, God, what you already see so clearly. God, this invitation, this time of response is just about you and about you working in people's lives and you bringing healing where it needs to be brought. And God, people just seeing you for who you are. God, we love you. We want to worship you. We want to sing praises to you. God, we want to rest in the peace that only you can supply. In Jesus' name, amen.